I am Zach Warden, and you're listening to the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the North, Dano the Mano. He's been the voice of wakeboarding for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated Toad Watersport's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years on the water experience, charisma, and command of his audience, Noise of the North brings you the Golden Mike Podcast with Dano the Mano. Welcome, everybody, to the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dano the Mano. We're coming at you from Orlando, Florida, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. This audio podcast is based off the lake life, my passion for toad water sports, and the athletes who have helped scope the landscape of the sport we love. Twice a month, I'm chatting it up with the industry's top names, past and present, the riders, the skiers, and the people behind the scenes who make this world on the water spin. The Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you for free on the first and third Wednesday of each and every month, both on iTunes and at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast no charge, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, Woodrow's, Hydra Fenders, Jammy Pack, Performance Ski and Surf, Hungry Boards, SUP, SeaDeck Marine Products, and GoPuck. Be sure to check out the sponsor link on noiseofthenorth.com to help support and to find special offers and deals from the people who helped me make this show happen. If you haven't subscribed to the Golden Mike Podcast free on iTunes, please do and don't forget to rate and review the show. Follow me on Instagram at Dano T. Mano and on Twitter at the Dano T. Mano and at the Golden underscore Mike. Feel free to contact me with any questions or comments through the Golden Mike Facebook page or email me goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. On this episode, I wanted to try something we haven't really done yet. I'm a lover of all toad water sports, not just wakeboarding. I've been able to pay my bills and travel the world and really do things I may never have had the chance to do because of wakeboarding, but my roots come from water skiing and not your traditional style either. I was a show skier. I was and still consider myself to be an aquanaut. The aquanauts are a ski team in southeast Wisconsin where I spent my days as a youngster growing up at the lake. In ski shows, you barefoot, hit ski ramps, do helicopters and flips, you build pyramids and do ballet lines. I was personally known for shoe skiing and my trick skiing. Show skiing is more for entertainment, although there are some big tournaments every year. Growing up, I was never really taught to ski traditionally, and it was when I moved to Florida back around 2003 when I really started learning about three-event water skiing. I worked at Performance Ski and Surf, and my non-traditional background sort of translated over to three-event skiers. I was really good at selling wakeboards, too. I could, I could pretty much sell anything just because I knew the whole sport. Working at Performance, I always met riders and skiers, current pros, and the future. And in my position as the announcer for so many events over the years, it's always been neat to see the kids or groms that I'd met in the shop years ago grown to athletes. Well, today I have one of them with me. Today's guest is a traditional skier. He's a long-distance jumper and was one of the first six men in the entire world to traditionally jump over 230 feet, and he did it when he was considered a pretty young man. 
I heard and met Zach Warden sometime around 12 years ago, maybe longer, when he was a hotshot junior skier. He was sponsored by Performance Ski and Surf, and uh, he would come to the shop and, and hang out, and him and I would talk a little bit of trick skiing here and there. And as Zach grew up, he got a job at Performance and started to really get some recognition throughout the world of Toad Water Sports. He had junior records that were off the chain and set him in motion for his prosperous career. Zach has had some major ups and downs with big wins throughout his career, the loss of his father just about a year ago, and a few injuries. Zach always seems to come back stronger than before. Zach Warden's also a great ambassador of the sport. He's a skier, but he also supports wakeboarding and pretty much anything behind the boat. You know, I ran into Zach at Wakeboard Nationals. He was just there to hang out and watch. No other reason than to see some good competition and support. You see, Water Ski Nationals was up in West Palm Beach and Nationals was in Miami. And Zach just came down to, to kick it and chill with the athletes. And like I said, just to watch some amazing action go down on the water. I know it was a long opener and I'm sorry, but this will be a good episode filled with some solid insight. So sit tight and I'll be right back with Zach Warden here on the Golden Mike Podcast. SeaDeck is the leading manufacturer of a range of comfortable and durable EVA non-skid products for the marine industry. Working with the manufacturing leaders in towed water sports boats, SeaDeck has redefined non-skid flooring. No more stinky carpet or hard rubber mats. SeaDeck provide exceptional non-skid, a luxurious feel, and because it can be customized to your specification, a unique look that will set your boat apart from the crowd. For a more in-depth look and for more information, visit SeaDeck.com and you have the perfect addition to your boat. Welcome to the mini mansion, Zach Warden. How you doing? What's up, buddy? It's good to see you, man. Yeah, you too, man. This, uh... I was over at your place this morning, but uh, no Zach. I know you were out at a concert last night, so I'm, I'm guessing you never came home. I might have been a little busy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I heard you were out in the lake uh, turning some buoys and out there. So yeah, It was glass. It was, it was buttery. I don't know, and this wind just blew in this afternoon, so hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll get nice bef- before the next time I hit the water. Uh, we'll get you in some good sets. You know we always do. So what do you think, man? Are you ready for this? I think so, man. Pretty excited. I've talked to you on the mic quite a bit, so uh, why not sit down and make it official, you know? That's right. That's right. You know, we had T-Gas over a year ago. We brought him in just after the Masters, but unfortunately, the recording equipment wasn't quite right, and the interview just didn't really turn out the way I wanted, so... You're officially going to be the first skier interview on the podcast. So maybe for the listeners who follow wakeboarding only, let's give them an idea of who you are. Let's start with, if you don't mind, I don't want you to come off as pretentious, but okay. I'm asking. So yeah, you're good, dude. I want to start off with your your credentials. Um, you recently took third place at the Malibu Open up in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you won the U.S. Open last year, but you've also held some other titles and records. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, basically, uh, I started off as a traditional overall water skier. Slalom, trick, jump, the three main disciplines. And as I progressed in the sport, uh, jumping was 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 really excelling me and, and, and pushing the boundaries and starting to pay some bills, and, you know, and uh, that's what I kept going for and shooting for. And I ended up, I still hold the record for the furthest jump ever off a five and a half foot ramp, which is traditionally smaller than the pro vent ramps we use of 228 feet and then uh was the sixth person ever to ever go 230 feet so a huge milestone and joined some names of the guys that i was sitting on the 
shore watching when I was a kid, you know, so it's pretty cool to be in their level in their ballpark now. Yeah, and that was cool at the Malibu Open, and, and we'll touch on your injuries a little bit later, but uh, at the Malibu Open that you recently took top three at, you were one of three guys that um, jumped off of the five-and-a-half-foot jump where traditionally a jumper would go off of a six-foot exactly, jump. Exactly, yeah. In finals, you hit a score of 200 and... 209, yeah. 209. So I was, I was pretty excited about that. I mean, obviously, a score that it's not close to my 228, but uh, obviously we'll touch about the injuries later, but kind of a comeback tournament for me. So I was pacing myself and, uh, and trying to tone it down a little bit and actually ended up skiing really well. I mean, I, I missed the win, 210 feet won it, and I finished third with a 209. So, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a tight little finish there and uh, maybe could have come out on top, but, you know, I was just stoked to make finals there. And then to actually come up and make it on the podium was huge. Your final jump at the Malibu Open was in jumping what they would call a pass. Yeah, and yep. basically you took a rip at it, but something just wasn't right, and so at the last moment you kind of just um, bailed off to the side before hitting the before going off the ski ramp. But watching that, watching the rip that you took at the jump, even at five and a half feet, if you yeah. would, if you would have connected, I have a feeling that you would have uh, probably gone a bit further than two ten. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was the money making cut right there, but you know, just not quite ready to be taking that. You know, trying to pace. I still have a long season. I got worlds and. In three months, and an event down in Chile, the U.S. Open up here in Orlando. So, I still got a long season left, and obviously want to have a long career with this. So, just taking my time. But that was a that was the big boy cut. That was the one that that makes the money and makes the chicks happy. So, U.S. Open 2014 champion. Uh, I know you won Malibu Open back around 2011 or 2012. 11, 11, yeah. And you also for a very long time held some some records, some national records. Yeah, I still. I'll, I got a couple of them left, but uh, there's some uh, little juniors now that are starting to uh, check my name off the records book. But uh, you know, it's good, man. It's a it's a small sport, so they're buddies of mine, and I'm I'm happy to see them succeeding, and hopefully they can chase me a little further. Yeah, but the sport's not progressing if your records aren't being beat. Exactly. I mean, as, as much as you want to sit there and hold that record forever and be the man, well, then your you, your sports hit a plateau, and that, that's no fun. I mean, you really want to see it progress and see these guys get better. I mean. The records that I broke, I broke them by 10, 15 feet. And then some of these juniors coming in, like Taylor Garcia and stuff, are breaking these records, breaking mine by 10 or 15 feet, just in a span of 15 years. So yeah. it's really huge. It's impressive, to say the least. Uh, so did you grow up here in Orlando? I actually grew up out in Daltona, which is about 45 minutes away from Orlando. But to be honest, where I really grew up was out at uh, Jack Travers Ski School out in Oconomka. Uh, every day after school, my dad would drive me over there to, to train and practice. and I lived on a lake back in Deltona, but it was something about skiing with the boys and skiing with my best friends that I really uh, allowed me to excel. So, I mean, I, I really grew up over there. And then throughout high school, I actually finished online and, and moved over there. And I lived there for three years prior to leaving for Louisiana on a, on a scholarship for water skiing, actually. And when did you actually start skiing? Man, uh, two years old was the first time I was officially up on some water skis. And of course, I battled back and forth with, I wanted to do it, I didn't want to do it. And I really started taking over in water skiing when I was probably five, six years old, competed in my first nationals when I was seven. But not only was I doing that, I was also wakeboarding and, and like these groms you talked about earlier, I was actually one of these little wakeboard groms skiing the events. Bob Sovin and I are the same age. And so we actually grew up in some of these events together because uh, his dad was actually my doctor growing up. So we knew the Sovins well. And so they were the ones telling us to come to these events. And So were you competing at Gravel Tour? 
Well, was it was it gravel tour back then? I mean, I think it's been gravel tour probably since about two thousand at least or two thousand one. Well, I was like probably that. I was probably ninety eight, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. Uh, the X Cup series, I think, is what they were called. Uh, whatever. I, I can't remember. I, that I got some trophies at home. I got a first place that I know Bob has a second place one, so I'm pretty stoked with that. Man, that is, that is really that's really cool. A lot of people probably had no clue that you were uh, into into the wakeboarding, and that's that's pretty funny because we're going to touch on that here. Yeah. The beautiful thing about toad water sports, water skiing, wakeboarding is it usually stems from your folks. Exactly. Uh, your parents are usually, you know, lovers of the water, and I'll just say skiers because realistically, most people nowadays, unless you you're a parent that was born after like like 85 or yeah, 1990 you know you were, you probably started as a skier were your parents skiers yep my mom was actually a uh, was a national champion really really great junior skier um went to college for a scholarship my dad on the other hand uh came into it later through college with some buddies and uh actually became a boat driver on the tour because my uh, my mom's dad uh Walter May who was uh was really big in driving at Cypress Gardens and driving the Mastercraft Pro Tour and was a really good pro driver at all those events. So I came up into it. I mean, I was two years old the first time they were like, let's get this kid on some skis and and start whipping him around. So definitely the uh, the family aspect was brought me into it. You know, growing up, I wasn't really given the choice to, if I wanted to <laughs> to wakeboard or not. My dad wouldn't really let me do it. He made me water ski. Um, don't get me wrong. Like I love water skiing. I love wakeboarding. I was kind of bummed out as a youngster because I didn't get to make my own decisions. By the time I was 18, I decided that I was going to kind of stick to skiing more behind the boat than, than wakeboarding, but uh, always appreciated and watched, uh, you know, watching my friends learn new tricks and progress the sport of wakeboarding, of course. It doesn't sound like your folks were really like that. It sounds no, like you kind of had the chance to do whatever you wanted. I kind of had the reins on on doing really what I wanted to, and um, so when I started getting seven, eight, I started competing in water skiing, and then uh, really started to do three event water skiing, and that's when it just became too much. I between trying to wakeboard and do three event, um, I chose to kind of how do go you the road. how do you decide? I don't know what it was, man. I think uh, maybe just growing up in the atmosphere uh, of the water skiing, the lakeside. I mean, everyone on my lake growing up was just water skiers, and so that's really what I what I knew. So the wakeboarding thing was a was something new for our entire family. We really didn't know it. I didn't really have a coach. Everything that I was learning was something my parents, as water skiers, were teaching me. Um, so it just kind of it felt natural to kind of fade into water skiing, and that's where I went. I mean, I still wakeboard every once in a while and dust it off. I love it. I actually wakeboarded for our collegiate team in college, you know. So. I still love it and, and have a big respect for it. Just kind of stuck with water skiing. Something clicked when I was younger. Do you have like a secret favorite wakeboarder? Murray, for sure. Like that's the guy, like I remember going up to the Pro Tours, um, like uh, must have been late 90s, kind of right when I was still wakeboarding. We were wakeboarding at some of the events my grandfather was driving at. And Murray is just such a legend and super cool to all the younger youngsters. I mean, I was seven, eight. I had a shirt, like sign it for me, get some stickers at the booths. Like Murray was one. And then now in later years, we both ride for Nautique. So we're out doing photo shoots together and hanging out. So it's pretty cool to kind of reconnect with a guy that was such a legend uh, in your eyes growing up. Yeah. He's, and you know, he's just releasing, I think his 20th pro model this that's year crazy. at Surf Expo. Yeah. That's so crazy. It's, uh, it's, it's been a long road, but that's cool. You know, he's, he, a lot of people would, would probably give that same exact answer. It's so impressive how, how long Murray's been able to keep up at it too. I mean, the guy still rips. No, we were out there for a photo shoot not too long ago. And, uh, 
the guys out there, he's like, hey, man, do you mind just throwing the wakeboard and doing a few shots for us? And it, still super impressive the way he rides and being out there, being able to ride in the boat. And we were actually doing some chase with him and stuff. It's unreal to watch a guy who's been in that long and just kills it. Zach, let's talk about long distance jumping. I want you to to break it down for everybody kind of into like layman's terms. I want to I want to talk about speeds, equipment, boats, engines, ropes, ramps, angles, speed suits. I know it's a lot, but uh, I want to I want to find out the ins and outs and kind of let people know a little bit about it. All right. Well, let's start with the very beginning. Let's uh our skis, for example. Uh, Fifteen years ago, they were the biggest skis out there. Were probably eighty two, eighty four inch skis. Well, and, and, and compared and to a wakeboard, com- so lengthwise compared to a wakeboard, you're looking at uh, almost double the length of a wakeboard, and about anywhere from eight to nine inches wide. So a, a narrow stick, and we use two of them on either feet, uh, much like you watch the downhill snow ski jumpers in the uh, in the Olympics and stuff like that. The same name of the game. There's really no style points for what we do. There's no no grabs or extra flair trying to impress the judges. We go out there and we we take this big cut at the ramp and. He who jumps the furthest wins, and doesn't matter how to get it done, but just go out there and do it. So it's cool to watch jumping because everyone has a super unique style because everyone thinks they're right in their own mind and they're doing it the right way. So it's a uh, it's a learning curve all the time, but it's a blast. And so we got our skis. Mine are actually 93 inches long, which are some of the bigger uh, the bigger jumpers, uh, the guys. And I'm considered a bigger guy, six foot, a buck 85, and I'm one of the bigger riders. But uh, so we have a 75-foot line we tow behind the boat. The boat goes at a set speed of 35 miles an hour, uh, like 32 or 33 feet away from the ramp. So if you've ever skateboarded behind a car or kind of skitched or anything like that, you can get the essential, like how you whip yourself behind the boat. So we do that, and it's all about timing. And we just we whip ourselves right at the ramp going close to 70 miles an hour. So I mean, almost double the speed of of what you're being towed. Exactly. And we I mean the ramps it's six feet tall, but it's twenty two feet long. So I mean it's this huge twelve feet wide. So I mean it's this huge structure out there and but when you're traveling seventy miles an hour, I mean there's a really narrow margin that you're trying to get on the ramp at. I mean, we're aiming for a a spot a, a foot wide and we're hitting it going seventy. So I mean it's pretty intense coming in. You'd be amazed how quick you can think and think on your feet when you're traveling that fast and you got that much adrenaline going through you. So it's pretty fun. And that jump isn't uh, forgiving at all. I mean, the second that you go from the water onto the ramp, you want to slide out one and number two, your body just wants to compress, right? Exactly. I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I've never put an accelerometer on me or anything like that to see the G forces that we have when we hit that ramp. But I mean, it's, it, it's, there's no smooth transition into it. There's no kicker. I mean, we're hitting a, a we're hitting a cheese wedge out there going 70. And I mean, it wants to put your knees up into your stomach. And so, I mean, it's pretty crucial for us to spend a little time in the gym and really and be on our game. Because, I mean, you've seen some of the worst uh, water ski crash. I mean, that ramp will eat you up really quick if you're just a little bit out of line. Oh, yeah. I think I saw a video of somebody crashing into the um, side curtain at one of the collegiate yep. events. I yep. think I saw on Tosh.0 or something. Yeah, he made it on Tosh.0 and on Sports Center and stuff. And I don't know if it was... Uh, Great for the sport because it was a, it was a gnarly jump. But he went in there and just obviously he missed that little one foot window, but he missed it by five feet. So he uh he smacked the side curtain pretty good and and flew off the side. And I think one kid like I think he broke his arm that year just hmm. from that. I mean, he got away. He got lucky with that one too. Okay, so how high in the air are you actually? Uh, we probably hit our peak anywhere from 
on a on an okay jump 25 on it with a big headwind when we got a lot of lift under skis we're getting upwards of probably 35 feet in the air just vertical feet and not to mention flying the 230 feet down the lake um i mean some like the world record now is like 250 251 so but how do you land and walk away i mean it's a it's not a transition like on snow like on snow when you're landing onto the downside of a ramp how do you go, you know wakeboarding you're you're traveling far and you're yep. coming from from tall distances but jumping you're traveling four times as far and coming from double the amount yep. of height in the air so how do you land and, and walk away every time? Well, it's, uh, I mean, for us, you got to imagine like a, a jet coming in for a landing. It's still coming down at an angle. Now they do a little better, but uh, obviously as we're coming down, we try to essentially fly to the ground. And so as we're pressing, but it's still pretty rough on the knees. So what we do is as we land, rather than just landing and sticking it, like you'll see a lot of the riders do after these big, big kickers and stuff, we'll actually land and kind of absorb it into our body. So we'll land and then sit down on our butts and kind of and roll out onto our back and then stand back up to kind of get a scoring jump. So that way it kind of it absorbs the landing through your entire body rather than taking it all to the knees. Now, I've seen some jumpers really just stick their landings. Is that just like... Um, I'm jealous of those guys. <laughs> My <laughs> knees would thank me if I could figure that out. But uh, Is that like 14-year-old Zach Warden? Yeah, 14-year-old Zach Warden who was fit prior to surgeries and stuff like that could, could pull that off. But nowadays I'm trying to limit the pain on the body. Across the board, three event-wise, why does it seem like traditional skiing has to be so scientifically difficult? I don't know, man. I, and that's why I kind of, sometimes I think I, re, I re, relate better with some wakeboarders just because they're out there having fun. And that's what I do on the water. But uh, there's a lot of guys out there who just overanalyze and just get really mentally into this game, which mentally you have to be strong, but they really, they almost make it too hard. And at that point, I mean, it, I don't know if it's even, if they're having fun or what, but I mean uh mentally it's a it's a big mental game and once you get to that level it's kind of built in so i'm just i'm kind of one of the guys is if it's a built in you already know how to do it just go do it and have fun and there's a lot of guys but they they still love it and they do it and they're great at what they do but they really study the the art of water skiing do do you think that like the 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 difficulty level like how scientific some people have to break down their skiing do you think that might be a reason why skiing seemed to be lagging behind wakeboarding over the years i can almost it's one of the reasons up there for sure i mean you got a guy who wants to come in and, and, and purchase some skis and stuff but yet all he does is he's read forums online about trying to make himself better and it's all this fin adjustments and body and, and constantly moving things and uh you have to be this guru to be even tune it in and it kind of almost it makes it difficult for people to really get into the sport when, when they're told that this is what you're supposed to be doing as a pro athlete. When if someone were to come to me, I'd be like, you know what? Make this ski work for you. I mean, these are skis that were be considered elite skis ten years ago. But now they're now they're a middle of the road ski because technology is so advanced. Like you could still ski good on this man and, and just have fun with it. If you're starting to tinker with your fin and, and making all these adjustments and getting down on yourself because you're not performing well enough as you should, then uh that's where the fun kind of leaves the sport, and that's why it's tough, I think, to get new people into it. You have that in wakeboarding, though, too. And you know, you know, as a guy who worked at at performance yourself at the at the pro shop, you know, you you were selling skis and wakeboards, yep. and there are certain people who just don't think that they can do what what they they usually do at home on a different wakeboard, just you know, like a different ski. Don't get me wrong, I, you know, I, I probably spend a majority of my time on my trick ski, yep. and I would prefer to be on my trick ski. But don't get me wrong on this. 
if there's a boatload of babes out there yeah. and I need to go and land a flip or two <laughs> on somebody down. else's equipment, I'm going to make, make it happen. It happen you exactly. Know? No, I, I don't blame you for that at all. I do the same. Hey, do you really believe if it was easy, it would be called wakeboarding? Oh, I remember that shirt at Nationals one year and there were so many proud water skiers walking around. And to be honest, like I've gone in road, like I can do some flips and throw down a little bit, but to ride at these guys' level, it'd be like them trying to come over and learn at our level. I mean, if those guys came over and I never touched a pair of skis before, I guarantee I could have these guys jumping far. I mean, like JD Webb hit me up over the weekend. He wants to come out and jump. And he's like, I'm giving myself six jumps to go over 100 feet, which if it was any other guy, I'd say you're dreaming. That's going to take you a year and a half, two years to learn. And he's like, I want to do it in one day and I will do it one day. I mean, like it, it, it translates. So I wouldn't say one's easier than the other. You know, and I and I don't want to dwell on it, but like the whole, you know, the the saying that I just asked you, do you, do you think it would be easy if it was it it would be called wakeboarding or whatever? You still see people wearing those shirts, and I'm not gonna lie, you know how mad that makes wakeboard people. Oh, I bet they I bet they hate it, man. But uh, it, I don't know why people have to have this stigma that it's got to be this snow skier versus snowboarder, this. I don't know, rollerblader hates skateboarders or scootering or, I mean, whatever, to each its own. But, yeah, that shirt, I think, probably pushed some buttons with some riders. Well, I'm going to say this. Don't get me wrong. It's easier to do a deep water on a wakeboard than it is on <laughs> a trick ski, a slalom ski. Maybe not 90-inch jumpers, but I don't know. I've never tried. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It's definitely easier to land a basic back roll on a wakeboard than it is on a trick ski. But aside from that, the learning curve, I would have to say, to like you mentioned, the, that level. I mean, They start going up pretty quick there. I mean, if you want to have someone out in the lake and, and, and they've never been on the water before, I mean, you toss a wakeboard on them and get them up on the water and just get them, get them thrilled for a, being towed behind the boat. You know, that's what it's all about. And so, But then once you start getting past that, that learning that first flip or learning that first 360, I mean, the learning curves go, go really high. I mean... Uh, to be at their level, you got to put in some dedication, some time, and really a lot of effort. And same with water skiing. You know, it, you can agree or disagree with me, but, um, you know, I still sometimes at some events, I start noticing and hearing a little bit of animosity, and you hear it from both sides, although I don't, I, I'd like to say you don't hear it as much from the wakeboard side, but definitely every now and then I'll hear a wakeboarder yeah. say something. I definitely think it's mellowed out over the years, the the animosity, you know, the snowboarder, snow skier mentality, yeah. whatever. But you still hear the trash talking going on. And I want to ask you, why? Like, why can't we all just get along? <laughs> I know. I'm, I, I ask myself the same question. I'm trying to be one of those guys that kind of bridges the gap, you know, and, and tries to bring us all together. I was down at Wakeboard Nationals just to go down and hang out and watch people ride for the day. And a lot of these water skiers are kind of, because like you were saying earlier, they come from generations of water skiers before wakeboarding was really around in the late 80s and early 90s. So they don't really know anything better. So they've been taught by their parents, well, we're water skiers, we've got to stick this way. And just it's, it's, it's that older generation. But now that wakeboarding, my generation and wakeboarding with a lot of these guys, um, my generation of water skiing is cool with the wakeboarders. We really, I think it's a lot of the older crew in water skiing that's slowly moving out that are kind of the ones that still hold that stigma against them. You know, I've tried for so long, you know, I, ever since I moved down to Florida, you and I probably must've met a year, less than a year than after I moved down here. And I've yep. always been all about trying to put the water skiing, the wakeboarding and just the whole toad water sports, you know, the free ski, like 
I, I all too often I think a lot of a lot of elite skiers forget about the everyday man exactly. out there. Yep. And and I talk about on the podcast a lot that at the end of the day, guys like us, our job is to sell equipment and to sell boats and to get more people on the water. Yep. And I don't really care if you want to go tubing or if you want to go kneeboarding or if you want to jump or slalom or trick or barefoot yep. or ski race or wakeboard or wake skate. To me, if you can enjoy being behind the boat, then you're my friend. And that's what it's all about. I mean, it's it's a lifestyle that we live is behind the boat. It's not this, a lot of people make it out to be this, this sport that you have to eat, sleep, and, and die by the rules. I mean, for me, it's a lifestyle. And I think the generation coming up, it's it's more of a lifestyle. And no, I'm never going to make a million dollars a year water skiing. I'll be lucky to crack 50 grand, you know? But but it's because I love it and I love the people that are involved. And so we go out there on the lake and like you and I know, we go out every Tuesday and we, we go out there and we say, no real skiing allowed. We'll go out there and we'll let the line out and we'll trick ski and throw the high pole on or we'll dust the shoe skis off and just go out there and have fun and do some barefoot. And- no real traditional skiing going on because to me that is real skiing, man. You come yeah. you come up to Wisconsin and go to the Lake Lake Mary where I grew up and you're not getting counted on how many buoys you exactly. go around. You're getting counted on how deep you can dig that how, how elbow. How good did in. I look? Was my style good? Did I wave good? Yeah, no, that's what that's what I'm talking about. The the idea of real skiing is I don't want you going out there and just, you know, running buoys and getting upset at yourself because you didn't ski well enough. I want you to go out there and, and have a good time and like you and a couple of buddies from the Midwest, uh, Anthony, who works over at Perf, and Travis, we were out there, and you guys came in. It wasn't who ran the best. Like, man, who who looked better making those turns out there? And so, I mean, that's what it's all about. We had a good time. Yeah, none of us, none of us really cared who like really went shorter line or faster speed. No. It was just like who who had the best style. <laughs> who looked good? My board shorts were better, you know. <laughs> um, okay, so Zach, you grew up three event skiing you skied all three events you you're, i still have seen you when you were recovering from injury you know you you train a little bit uh cross train on your trick and you, you run the course a little bit on the slalom but literally you are taking one trick and slalom set for every 50 jump sets that exactly. you take how did you decide to focus mainly on jump well coming out of juniors i mean i was actually i was actually a really really good uh slalom skier i mean i won the junior masters in slalom uh really good overall skier but it's so hard to train and be at that elite level across the board so a lot of the traditionally the the people that you see that still ski three events um they'll be really good in one or two events and they'll kind of be dragging a third event along very rarely do you come across somebody who's just exceptional across the board so after uh, after juniors, once overall is kind of done being competitive, because right now in the pros, there is no pro overall, except for once a, every two years at the Worlds. So for me, it really wasn't worth the the dedication and time uh, and, and kind of the return on investment, as I call it, for uh, for putting in all the man hours for slalom and trick when I could kind of be paying it off if I was jumping and, and progressing that way. And, and how I chose, I think jump is just, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love anything that gets get, really gets your heart pumping and and jump does that, so I went with that. Talk about some of the crazy falls you've endured. Right before I had a really good year, 2010, and I flew all the way to Australia, got there. There's no practice rides. It's a four-round tournament to make the final heat on Monday. And uh, I went out there, very first jump, like first one of my first pro events of the year, and I went straight out the front, like lost a ski off the top of the ramp, but I still traveled about 190 feet before landing on my side. I ended up breaking three ribs in my side, 
and uh, and had to ski the rest of the tournament with like kind of a back brace and kind of duct tape wrapped around my waist. And I couldn't even bend down to put my own boots on, but I ended up skiing the rest of the tournament. I think I finished like seventh, you know, but it was, uh, I was almost, a, I don't want to call it a waste of a trip because I had a blast going to Australia and back. But I mean, for the very first jump, very first round to go and just gnarle myself up like that really kind of hurt. <laughs> How do you train for the crashes? Uh, you, you hope you don't have them and hope when you do have them that you, you walk away from them. But I mean, it's kind of a, kind of an unspoken rule when you do crash to, you, you kind of want to get to your back or at least kind of flatten out. The really worst thing you do is these skis are so long and our bindings are so tight in our feet that these skis are getting pulled away from you and, and out from your body. That's how you, you, you rip a hip out of socket or, or you blow knees out or shatter ankles. I mean, that's, that's a pretty common, uh, pretty common injury with jumpers. If you don't know how to kind of properly, there's really no good way to crash, but if you don't crash the most optimal way. Now, how about the craziest falls you've ever seen? Any, oh. any, anybody stick out over the years? Oh man, we had worlds one year up in Canada and, and something got in the water, man. These guys, something, some people think it was something wrong with the ramp. Some people think it was something wrong with the boat, but I was like, to be honest, like all these guys are going out there. I practiced two days before and it was fine, but there must've been 11 dudes who just stacked and stacked and stacked. And I think mentally it's, it's a mental game. So once you see one guy crash, it gets in your head. And if you're thinking crash, 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 when you should be focusing on jumps, it tends to happen. I watched, um, his name's Sebastian from Switzerland and he went out there and he went huge out the front on his very first one, knocked himself out. Like to the point where he came to, he didn't really know where he was. He was in the water, so he's flailing, swimming. And then they shouldn't have let him jump again, but he went back out there for another jump and crashed again. Same story. And then ended up back at the hotel later that afternoon. We're talking to him like, hey, man, how do you feel? And he didn't know where he was, like super concussed. What wasn't a good story, but I mean, that was some of the gnarliest crashes I've ever seen at one, at one event. Uh, let's take a quick break right here, here from one of the sponsors, and we'll be right back on the Golden Mike Podcast. Woodrose is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and a love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrose handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Follow Woodrose on Instagram at Woodrose or check them out online at Woodrose.com. That's W-O-O-D. R-O-Z-E dot com. Okay, at the Masters this year, you and I were on the microphone, and yep. Felipe Miranda, I believe it was, was the first jumper off the dock. And yeah. Was it Felipe or Rodrigo? Uh, I think it might have been Felipe. I'm not... I, um, it was one of the Rodrigo, yeah, yeah. Uh, Miranda brothers. Yeah. And first off the dock, and first jump, this is semifinals at the Masters. Eight guys from around the world are invited to jump here. And one of Chile's best, right? Like yeah. the best from Chile. Yeah. The Miranda brothers. He eats it. They're in and first jump, he eats it, and it's bad. I mean, yep. it's not good. It's bad. He should have been done. He comes back to like finally he stands up on his own. He's all good ish. Yep. You know, so they so he says, and I know this is the master, so you you're going. Adrenaline you're, kicks you're, in, you want to keep going, even though you should probably listen to the uh you know, the angel on the shoulder and, and, and take it in, but something about it, you just, you want to get back out there and redeem yourself. Well, at what point, how, at what point do the officials? God, it's tough. You? I mean, I've, I've, they've let me go out there and jump before. And I mean, I've, I've stacked and I've come up and uh, like I did in Australia that year, I came up, I knew I was hurt, but I'm like, the adrenaline's going, let me get my skis back on. I'm, 
in one piece, so to speak. Like, let me go, let me go, let me go. And usually if you're like that, then uh, uh, they'll let you go back out there as long as you don't have a, a leg dangling off or something like that. But I one time at Masters, same scenario, I, I skied prelims. And then in the finals, very first jump as a junior Masters and like very first jump landed on my face. And then what I thought, I thought I came out of the water saying, all right, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Like, I'm fine. I felt fine. But I didn't realize that I'd been knocked out for about 45, 50 seconds. So what part I remember, I woke up wanting to go again because I couldn't remember the crash. I didn't remember anything from the end of the lake. Don't remember the start of my set. But I was like, all right, well, okay, I'm in one piece. I'm fine. But they were the ones sitting there watching me, you know, eyes roll in the back of the head because I was knocked out. And they so, let you go? No. No, no. They, they sent me over to the medic's tent. And uh, I was I was frustrated they wouldn't let me jump again. But looking back on it, it was probably a smart idea because now – I mean, something bad could happen, and I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you tonight. You know, I could have really screwed myself up and not been in, not be able to jump anymore. You know, so looking back on, it, I was thankful. I was pretty ticked because it was my first junior masters, and I was skiing unreal, and I was like, I had a good chance to take down some of these big boys, and uh, I got taken out early. You know, two thousand fourteen. In two thousand fourteen, you returned from an injury at the masters. It was my first year announcing water skiing, so it was a pretty special weekend for me too. And you you made finals and you ended up getting top four. What was that like? Oh, well, that's unreal. I mean, I've been I've skied junior masters and I've had amazing success at junior masters, uh, overall championship, uh, jump and slalom champion. But uh, the pros, something about that lake, man. I was winning events uh, throughout the year, but something about the masters, I just I couldn't make the finals. Like every year, I thought I'd jump like two fifteen. I'm like that that's gonna get me through. That's gonna get me through. And then next thing you know, for so for three years in a row. I was it three masters in a row of four? I was the first one out of finals, the first one cut, not making those finals. So just to get top four this year, and they actually bumped the cut up a little higher in, in 2014 and stuff. So I had coming off an injury and stuff, and I was so stoked just to make the cut that year. Um, that was actually my last event my dad watched me jump at. So, I mean, I was like, looking back on that's going to be something that I really sticks with me. That was a fun event. Finally made the finals at the masters. It's a huge, prestigious event. And so that was uh, definitely one that'll chalk up on the wall. It's cool, and then at the podium they bring they actually bring the top four up, which is which is always neat. And yep. I remember that event like so well. You know, I was actually, and you might remember, I was like not partying at the time. Uh, I had taken a little bit of break. I took like a full month off with no beers or cocktails. I yep. was just kind of chilling. And and your your dad and I had talked a few times, and he knew my goal was to go a full month. And, I remember that, and then and then I was gonna party afterwards. Yeah. And I remember your dad just being so excited for you, and kept telling me he's, he's like, as soon as you're done announcing, I got that first beer. And the first thing he does is hands me a brewski. You know, as soon as the awards are done. But uh, you know, I remember we're all celebrating for you, and uh, you know, obviously he's an amazing human, and and you know, Zach, we all we all miss him a lot. And I know that that uh, your dad, John, he he loved the Masters so much. Oh man, that was something that he thought was was the coolest thing because that's a pro event that when he was growing up and he was just getting into water skiing. I mean, that's one of the only events that's still still going from back then. It, it is the only event with the exception of Moo Masters in Australia. And so the fact that it was his son, it was like when he was younger, he was watching these guys kill it at Masters, and he's like man, for my son to be able to ski here and then finally make the finals, you know, and, and be recognized on that level where he was idolizing these guys growing up. So it was really cool. That one was a really special tournament for him. We, I haven't missed the Masters 
skiing wise, I've missed a few, but I haven't missed a master since I was, I think, 10 years old. And uh, I start, went when I was 10 and I've been going since because my dad was so excited about that event. Yeah, it's definitely an event that I do not like missing myself. I haven't missed it, I don't think, in this is my 10th year announcing it. And I think it was my 12th Masters that I've uh, been to. I love them, man. I, I've, I've been going for, I think I'm. 14 on a row or 15 in a row. Um, I haven't missed one. I love them. It's it's a great event every year. and It's something about it, man. It's fun up there. Yeah, you can definitely feel like the prestige in the air. Yeah. A few days after your dad had passed away in the summer of 2014, you went right up to Wisconsin. I mean, days after and competed at the Malibu Open. And that was an event that your pops had been a huge part of over the years if i'm not mistaken he yeah, was one of the guys that helped yeah, start it right he was one of the guys i mean they brought that very first year to hey let's go look at this lake and see if we can throw an event on it and uh this year was the was the sixth year they did it and um so i mean that that event was a special one for dad because that was one of the first pro events that he actually set up and helped run and that would kind of snowball his career into helping run pro jump events and run these pro water ski events and stuff well, and I know there's a special event for you and your whole entire family yep. because it was one of the first major pro events that you had won. You know, we mentioned yep. it back yep. in 2011, and um, I just want to like talk about like how how hard it was for you to be able to like just fly up to Wisconsin three days later. And, you know, and I know you'd mentioned yeah. you're like, this is my I have to be here. My my dad would be bent out of shape if if he knew that I stayed at home. Yeah, exactly. I mean, part of me wanted to stay at home and feel sorry for myself. You know, we had this big loss. But I mean, I had spent all summer um, in the hospital with him. I mean, it was two months, a, a kind of really bad ordeal in the hospital and stuff. And um, so, I mean, I, emotionally, I was drained. But then in the end, it was uh, John Travers like pulled me aside. Like, he's like, Hey man, I know you haven't canceled your flight yet. Cause I was planning on attending. Um, and I was going to cancel it. He's like, don't, don't cancel it. Give yourself a couple days. Think about it. It'd be a good event for you to go to. So going up there and it was really amazing. I mean, so many people of course were, were sorry and, and for that loss of words. But then in the end, once we sat down and like cracked a beer open, we just started sharing stories about that. And that's really been the way I've, I've kind of coped with it the entire time and, and, and allowed myself to to get over it is by is by talking about it, and so uh, and then I ended up finishing third at that event. So you did pretty well. Yeah, out there I, was, too. I was stoked, man. I ended up. I mean, I boosted out like I think like two twenty four, two twenty five. I mean, I had a huge jump, one of the biggest jumps I've had since uh, since the knee surgeries that I had earlier that year and stuff. So I was super stoked on that, and it, and it was just it was a weird feeling. I mean, it was I was proud and I was sad, and it was, it was a bunch of emotions. But I mean, it, I ended up doing the right thing, and then. I turned around and got in a plane and went straight to Canada after that and finished fourth that event. And then um, I think that was a good way to kind of cope with everything was surround myself with the people who, who I loved and who loved me. And my, my parents are my, my mom and my sister made the trip and my grandparents. So, I mean, it was, it was a cool family, family environment. And you were able to continue like the momentum last season. You had the big win at the U S open, yeah. which was, was huge. Nautique is one of your sponsors and, um, I know that the, the previous year when they did, it wasn't called the U S open the year before it was kind of a, a tester event, yep, yep. but I know that you were a huge part of that as well. So the, the U S open win had to be huge. And then I remember you had the rocket man right over after yeah. that. And then from there you went to another event overseas and it was a night event and you ended up re-injuring your knee. Yeah. So, I mean, after... 
after the Malibu Open back in August or whatever, I mean, I went on a tear after that. I mean, I, I missed one podium um, at the rest of my events, skied really, really well, won the U.S. Open, got third at Rocketman, went down to Chile, got third, and then it was our last event of the year, and they pushed it a little further than we'd like. They pushed it all the way in December because it's down in Columbia. So tough thing for us is we're trying to train up here, and it's been such a long season because our season starts in February getting ready for the Moomba Masters, and I just hadn't stopped skiing all year. My knees were tired. I was I needed a break. It was one more event. The payout was good, so we all made the trip down there and uh, ended up being really bad weather, foggy all day. We weren't able to ski, and it was a night event, so it's already sketchy enough us jumping during the day and then to throw in that we're jumping at night with these uh, kind of shady spotlights on us and it's just it's pretty sketchy and in hindsight I should have gone back and maybe said you know what maybe this is a little too dangerous to jump but I went out there anyways because adrenaline's going you want to go out there and ski and uh on my on my last jump which actually didn't be my best jump on the landing I just didn't quite spot my landing right because all the fog on the water and ended up uh and blowing out my my left knee which was was my good knee um because I've already had two ACL surgeries on the right knee. So then to go and do my left knee, just three ACL surgeries in three years. And it was, well, two and a half years. It was just, it's, it was a rough two years. And then to finally to have that hit me at the very end of the awesome season like that really was a, was a downer, but at the same time, a huge, huge, huge motivator to, uh, to get back. I, was gonna say, I never once, you know, I, I, I spent some time with you in the winter because you are never afraid to give me a pull behind your boat if I don't have anywhere else to go or no. if I need a place to go. And I never saw you once feel sorry for yourself about being injured for your third time in three no. years. I never saw you. I asked you, I, said, I I feel bad for saying it, but I said, Zach, why? Yeah, Why, and I, why I, keep going? And, and it was why? A, and at that point, I mean, because I, I did my knee the first two times. It was like a one-time snowboarding. I actually moved to the Mammoth and... Uh, started competing in snowboarding for like just a winter, just to be fun. And then uh, did it like tore it back to back knees. And then so when this happened, I was like, oh. when your second knee injury wasn't water skiing either, wasn't no, it? No, that was power lift. That was in the gym, but just doing rehab for the first surgery. And I just like collapsed on a squad and, and basically everything the doctor fixed, I went and rebroke and then screwed up even more in the knee. So, I mean, that was a, that was a long time. And then, so, I mean, I was super stoked that Nautique kind of stayed with me because I had just signed the previous year. And uh, finally got this big boat sponsor. And the next thing you know, I sat out a year and a half and they stuck by me. So I was really concerned coming into this tail end of the season that, you know, like what, what's my sponsors going to think that, oh, I got hurt a third time. So there was never a doubt in my mind that I was going to just hang it up and, and be done with it and, you know, lose my contract with Nautique and my, my sponsorship with performance. You know, I was, that was all the motivation. I mean, I spent five days a week in the gym rehab and I mean, I surpassed every, timeline that the doctor set for me by uh, by a huge margin i mean i skied malvo open two weeks ago now and that was eight and a half months out of surgery for an acl something that they don't recommend hitting the jump ramp until a year and so i mean i just it was kind of hearing all that and just the dedication to to try to get back on the water asap you know yeah, well you missed the first half of the season. You mentioned it. You came back at the, the 2015 Malibu Open, and you, you ended up taking top three. Yeah. How do you continue to push yourself to this elite level? I just, it's the motivate. It's like seeing guys out there like the, the, the Sean Murray and the Byerly of Wakeboard. These guys have been doing it forever and are still just 
are still killing it. And same thing like watching Scott Ellis, who actually got second at Malibu Open. He's 43 years old now, and he still goes out there and jumps 209 feet on the weekend, you know? And it's, it's seeing that, it's like, man, I really want to, I want to push this thing as far as I can and, and, you know, kind of soak up the ski bum lifestyle for, uh, before I have to kind of close it down and, and sit my butt in a cubicle for a little while, you know? I really want to just push it as far as I can. But you're you're also working outside of the lake too. Yeah. You go to you. Uh, I know you help with the development of a lot of young skiers, but um, also you're you're going back to college right now too, right? Yeah. So I mean, I went to school uh, in Louisiana for three years, um, and then at the tail end of the semester, I uh, I moved to California, and that's when I ended up doing my knee that that winter. And so uh, I, because of that, I was going to lose my scholarship. I wasn't going to be able to ski and and kind of get free schooling. And it was going to be too expensive to stay in Louisiana. So I, I moved back to uh, moved back to Florida, had my surgery. And I've kind of been taking my time with classes, but I haven't left school since then. I mean, I'm on the seven-year degree program. But you know what? I mean, taking a few classes here and there and, and slowly chipping away at it. And um, I'm going to get it done. I should hopefully be graduating next May with a marketing degree. And uh, I would love to kind of get in line with some of these wakeboard and water ski companies and just kind of, you know, continue to live the rep lifestyle and, and, and tag along and be able to do my own thing skiing and, and maybe with, uh, help. I know you already, I'm going to say help yep. work some events. You're already out at every water ski yep. event, adjusting the ramp with John Travers, but yep. maybe start actually putting on your own events. And that, that would be, that would be huge. I mean, I've got a bunch of good buddies and a, a good friend of mine, Casey mom, he's the one that works for CBS and is actually pushing this U S open deal with Nautique. And, uh, I mean, something like that. He's, he's so dedicated to the sport. He just wants to see it grow and, so he spends four months out of the year just slaving over this tournament for, you know, for, for four hours on the lake. It's a great tournament, and it's the U.S. Open. We needed to have that back Oh, yeah, in it's the so sport. good to have it back. What do you think needs to happen to help grow more exposure for skiing and, and toad water sports as a whole? Well, I think we touched base on it a little bit earlier about kind of the, the older crowd having the stigma of this water skiing has to be this, uh, this by-the-rules, play-by-the-rules sport when – we need to get so far away from that and kind of where wakeboard is at. It's just, it's this fun lifestyle type. I mean, what we do every Tuesday night, it's, it's a lifestyle. And I think once this generation can, can kind of show everybody that we're, we're not this just really gnarly sport that you train for and study for. And it's something that you can really love. And the pro skiers will probably all be a smaller, we're never going to be on a huge level. But it'd be nice to have a lot more of these this grassroots growing up and uh, kind of like they do the gravel tour with performance and OWC and stuff and Nautique. It'd be nice to kind of have something like that going for our juniors and kind of pulling in the people who, like yourself, grew up just playing out on the lake and kind of bring them in to what, the, what we consider the traditional three-event water skiing stuff. And if we could do that, man, I mean, the sport was huge back in the 80s and, and, and it killed it and it just, we hit a real rough batch um, when boats started getting expensive and, and stuff like that. So if we can make it a little more user-friendly to, uh, to everybody just get out there and have an opportunity to ski, I think we could see it really start to pick up in numbers. I agree, and I think, I think the more people that actually get out on a ski and try it. Exactly. It, you know, it, the only people that can talk smack about wakeboarding are the people that have never tried it, and vice yep. versa with wakeboarders. The only people in wakeboarding that can talk trash about running a slalom course or flying off of a ramp, even a, a, a 10-foot jump. You know, just yep. riding over the jump is fun. A little slippery uh, trick session. Uh, you know, tricking definitely takes a lot more time, but it, it, it is fun. Just having that handle, it, it's fun. You it's, know? Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more with you. Do you see water skiing making a comeback? 
I think we will. I, I don't know if you'll see it in the... Uh, I mean, I hope you see it in the pro side of stuff with pro events. I mean, jumping is going really well. If any, if any of the events are going to take off, it's jump. Um, just because it's the... I don't want to call it NASCAR, but it's it's kind of like a, the NASCAR idea. These guys want to see these guys go huge and, and drive fast, essentially. But at the same time, people stick around to see the crash, which inevitably happens, you know. And um, and it's a good show. It's easy to bring to the people. It's it, it's easy to kind of explain how it's going. I mean, furthest jump wins, and uh, it's really it's not this technician of of tricks where you see a run, but the people on the shore have no idea who's winning because they don't know the value of these points and tricks and once it becomes more user friendly, I think you could see jump taking off, and hopefully that just brings more and more people into into the sport. I think it will grow. What did you think of Freddy Krueger jumping at the uh, uh, that big event up in Michigan? The X that Games, throwdown, the throwdown, yeah. man, that was insane. Three hundred and twelve foot jump, so nuts. And I mean, I I talked to him, and I and Freddy only lives two minutes down the road from me, so I see him in town all the time, and we we text back and forth, and. I mean, he, he didn't ski any pro events for the two months prior leading up to this. He, he dedicated himself to that one jump that he knew he was going to get the opportunity to take up there. And, uh, Mastercraft built in this gnarly boat with like 700-something horsepower in it. Tops out 65 miles an hour, which is crazy for a water ski boat. And when, when you talk about letting the boat do the work for you, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're at the mercy of the, of the driver and the engine at that point, and Freddie's just along for the ride, and... And I was like, man, I don't, I don't think I'd do it. I mean, I'd love to. It'd be fun to go 312 feet, but just the risk that it, that is associated with it is crazy. Well, that was ski flying. What he did, he didn't yeah. jump. That was ski flying. So ski flying was an event back in the early 2000s, late yep. 90s. I think Scotty Ellis invented it, right? Yeah, Scott Jared Ellis and, and and Jared and and, and Neville uh, were a lot of those guys were were huge because they want to see. They were doing the same thing that we're talking about doing now. They were trying to get away from this stereotypical water ski three event mindset. And they were like, you know what? Let's just go have fun and, and essentially do like a big air of wakeboarding. Like let's go out there and just see how big we can go. No rules. We'll make new rules. We'll make a new ramp. We'll do new skis, new. Everything was so new and foreign because it was outside. It wasn't in the traditional rules that we grew up by. But it was dangerous. And then people started doing it. And then the competitive level came into it. And then that's when people, because originally when they started, they were going 250 feet. So they were out jumping where we were currently jumping by 30, 40 feet. But then the competitive side started coming in. So they were like, well, let's, I'm going to try to beat this guy. And then we started having some events. And then... And 299 was the record for a yeah, long time. Yeah, Jarrett had it 299 out at uh, OWC. And... That was something that we never thought we did again because people were getting too hurt. Our jump field's already small. I mean, on any given day, there's there's ten of us that really are kind of the the who's who, and there's a ton of jumpers out there. But I mean, there's there's an elite group of fifteen that are jumping and, over two fifteen. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's not there's not many of us, and then even in the group of people that are jumping two twenty and two twenty five and getting two thirty, the I mean, the list is I can count them on one hand the people who have been over 230 and and in in the sport that are active right now there's there's four of us you know so i mean it's five of us i think that have ever been over 230 that are still current jumpers you know so like for you what are some of your future goals oh man i want to win another event got another comeback story with this knee i just want to keep doing this man i i love it i want to obviously ski well at events and continue to kill it but uh i really want to kind of help innovate and and, and push the sport in a new direction, kind of get some rule changes, kind of make it a little easier to, to bring to the people and, uh, made some ideas of the ramps and the boats and the skis and 
kind of maybe start bridging the gap where ski fly had it and left off with it and maybe start uh taking what they were using and kind of maybe picking it up a little bit very cool you've seen wakeboarding you've seen water skiing kneeboarding you've seen it all you've lived it you've been around it what's the craziest thing you've ever seen behind the boat oh man there's a bunch of them. Uh, and do they normally happen with somebody from Wisconsin? <laughs> well, I was going to say, I was like, we, with that, some of that ski club stuff we do on Tuesday is pretty fun to watch. I just pulled, uh, I just pulled Anthony Monaco, AKA shoe King, uh, over the ramp last Tuesday on shoe skis. So he was pretty stoked on that. Um, some of the barefoot and we've been doing stuff. We tried, uh, me, JD and Watson were all out on uh, Lake Holden last week and we tried doing a triple barefoot, but, and, only JD made it. Me and Watson took took each other out before it could even happen. What were you guys starting off of? Skis? Well, or I was. They were on paddle boards, and I was just I was bare butting it and uh, and and trying to clinch it and get up. And I got up, and then Watson kind of lost control of his uh of his paddle board and came smoking over to me and took me out. And I don't know what I did to my shoulder, but I think I got some whiplash in my shoulder. I'm like, oh man, maybe I should uh tone it down a little bit with my with my barefoot and for a little bit. <laughs> So we're just about done here, man. You want to give a little sponsor love out? Maybe some uh, fam love? Yeah, man. Of course, the family. I mean, that's huge. We've been through a lot this last year, and mom's still supportive as ever, and my sister's awesome. And then uh, kind of I'd call them the family. The family at Nautique, man, those guys have been huge. And, I mean, sticking with me through all this, and they've been nothing more but just motivating. Let's What do we need to do to get you back out in the water? And, of course, uh, bill performance. Um, I mean, when I did my knee the first time, wasn't going to be making money skiing, you know, so... I came home and I was like, Bill, I need a job. Like, let me come work for you. And got in there and started slinging skis and learning about wakeboarding and selling that stuff. So, I mean, those uh, not teak and performance have been huge and, and kind of me coming back and supporting me through the last few years. So definitely big, huge shout out to them. Uh, how about your social media? Oh, yeah, here we go. It's the underscore Zach underscore Warden. And that's W-O-R-D-E-N. So uh, make sure you guys get that on, on that. Instagram, Twitter, Instagram, Twitter, and then the Facebooks. Just good old Zach Warden. Shoot me a friend request. I'll add you. I don't. I haven't hit like five thousand friends yet, like Murray. So I can still keep adding a few. Well, what do you think? You think you're gonna get some fan, new fans out of this? Uh, I'd love, I I think I can get a couple new followers on Instagram. Get a little shout out love. I've been creeping up there, man. I broke two thousand not too long ago, so I was stoked with that. Like, that's a big milestone in the Instagram world. Yeah. So how about the experience today? What do you think? Oh man, this was fun. I mean, we, we talk on the, on the mic all the time at these events. We get up there and I help you announce some of this jump and stuff, but it's fun to sit down and really not really talk about water skiing, but just talk about the personal side of it. And this was fun, man. I hope it, uh, hope it sparks some people to get out in the water and cool to, uh, that you're kind of hitting up some water skiers and hopefully maybe take the fire out a little bit that there's not so much hate between us that we're actually just pretty cool together yeah okay so what about if somebody wants to come and maybe ski with you i know i know t gas runs his ski yeah, school yeah. Out of there but you do some lessons yeah right? yeah you can hit me up um either via instagram twitter facebook um uh my emails uh zach warden 200 at gmail i mean shoot me an email um hit me up we'll get you out in the water we'll take you out the lake butler chain let you let you be a Wally for a day. We'll take a kneeboard or a disc in or a tube in or whatever you want to do, you know, just about getting someone behind the boat. So hit me up and uh, come share the love of water skiing and, and just toad water sports. Yeah, and maybe if you're there on a Tuesday night, you can come join our ski club for the for the evening. Yeah, you can be a, a, a one-time pass holder to ski club. And if you really kill it, you might get invited back the following Tuesday. We'll see. It is it is a pretty exclusive club opened <laughs> up to just about anybody. Yeah, anyone who wants to come is open, but it, uh, memberships are... 
in short order. <laughs> Zach, I want to thank you so much, man. Thanks, thank brother. you. Yeah, this has thank been you, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, guys, don't tune out just yet because I've got some closing words. But first, I want to give a little sponsor love of my own here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Nothing's better than paddling with friends and enjoying a day on the water. And that's why you need to check out Hungry Boards SUP. Hungry Boards go the extra mile and are passionate about their work and the sport of paddle boarding. They strive to create stronger, higher quality boards at a better value. Hungry Boards are designed to provide performance and stability to help keep you hungry for the enjoyment of SUP. Be sure to like them on Facebook and check them out at www.hungryboardssup.com. Hungry Boards, real boards for real people. Zach Warden, the long distance water ski jumper, was my guest today, and I was stoked to have him. This was my 26th episode, and I think it was cool to hear from others within Toad Water Sports. Zach does some gnarly stuff, and if you've never seen anybody jump over 200 feet, then you don't know what you're missing. There aren't many events these days where both skiing and wakeboarding uh, are put together, but when there are, you better believe the wakeboarders are watching the jumping. Jumping is like NASCAR racing. You can always expect some bad crashes, as you heard from Zach uh, during the episode. I always keep my fingers crossed, of course, to make sure the athletes are okay. Jumping is by far one of the most dangerous disciplines on the water, but it's definitely one of the most invigorating to watch. Once again, great hearing from Zach, and hopefully you listeners have a newfound respect, and maybe you can search him online or watch some of his vids of him flying himself. I always want to remind you, podcast listeners, that I'm an easy guy to reach. You know your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged, so please shoot me a note through email, goldenmike.com at noiseofthenorth.com, or message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. Again, I'm on Twitter. Follow me at the Dano T. Mano and at the Golden underscore Mike. I'm on Instagram, and you know it. Shoot me that follow at Dano T. Mano. Thank you again to Zach Warden, and now a few shout-outs to the sponsors and the folks behind the scenes. Thank you to Performance Ski and Surf and PerfSki.com. Hydra Fenders, Hungry Boards SUP, Woodrow's Jammy Pack, Sea Deck Marine Products, Go Puck, Logos That Pop, and Empire Sound and Lighting. That's going to do it for today's show. I appreciate y'all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan O'Mano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.